Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it's Friday. What the heck the date is? Oh, how can I forget? June 30th. I'm going to see Santana tonight. I can't wait. <laughs> Only seeing it for the 422nd time in my life. Eh, something's never got old. Uh, anyway, um, as we always do, we like to uh, read you what's going on in the world. Oh, my God. Uh, as we're doing this interview, I'll just uh, cite uh, an essay from uh, Newsweek uh, by uh, the distinguished associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University named David Ferris. I'm sure you've heard that name uh, on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, and here's the lead. Well, it was another banner week from the six unelected zealots who apparently make all of America's public policy decisions. Yes, uh, that's the lead to a story about the Supreme Court ruling, uh, which can uh, be boiled up this way. Follow me on this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, discrimination against white people is bad, very bad and unconstitutional. And they're abolishing it right now. And Martin Luther King would be very proud of them. They always drag out poor Martin Luther King. Like, they, what, one quote out of like a lifetime, books and books of quotes. One quote. Colorblind society, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, discrimination is fine when it's against gay people. Oh, my God. Figure that one out. Discrimination, good against gay people, bad against black, uh, excuse me, white people. And totally fine <laughs> against black people. And if you have any doubt that it's unfair or if you think it's unfair, just talk to Clarence Thomas. And I'll assure you that all is well on the uh, race relations front in America. All right. That's pr pretty much sums up two out of the three uh, big time decisions that have come down in the last couple, uh, 24 hours from the Supremes. The other one is uh, bringing back debt. We have more student debt. We have more indentured servants in the United States of America. Ah, uh, that Supreme Court. All right, without further ado, I want to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and then away we go. Distinguished guest. Thanks, Ben. It is great to be here on this uh, final day of June 
2023. You got to love the Supreme Court. Um, sorry, by the way, I'm David Ferris, Associate Professor of Political Science, Roosevelt University, author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, columnist at Newsweek. <clears throat> I feel like the Supreme Court was just like, hey, everybody, um, you're poor and uh, we can discriminate against you now. Have a great summer. <laughs> Your best friends, the Supremes. Um just really, they really went all out this week. Um, they did one sane thing, um, which is they rejected something called the independent state legislature theory, which is um, just a completely deranged interpretation of the Constitution that would have given state legislatures more or less plenary authority to determine election law um, it, without any interference from state courts or the state, uh, the state's executive branch. So, um, that's good, I, I guess. Um, I guess the new thing on the court is they do like five totally bananas things and then they do like one thing <laughs> <laughs> to give you some hope for the future. And they're like, well, we leave yeah. it up to you. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I guess we're, you know, you don't like us, you don't like us. Bye, we're out. Mic drop, you know, peace sign. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's all pretty frustrating. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, all right, uh, let's. And then, of course, uh, there's the other part of uh, David's essay, uh, which we'll get to uh, after <laughs> that. Pretty good lead, I must uh, confess. Very funny lead. Uh, yet, even after the hard right supermajority of the Supreme Court torched affirmative action, greenlit all manner of ugly discrimination against LGBTQ Americans and yanked up to 20,000 for millions of indebted borrowers. President Biden and his allies still can't bring themselves to threaten or even contemplate serious reform to the judicial branch. Uh, and seem they, instead, they seem content to watch over our very own guardian council wreck total havoc on American society. All right. Um, wow. Just so the for the record, uh, David Ferris has been advocating uh, messing with the Supreme Court at least six years uh, because the system we have really isn't working for people, just ordinary Americans. Uh, but uh, Joe Biden just says, nope, not going to do it. David Ferris, not going to pack the court. That would be wrong. Uh, is there any logic to what he's saying? Is Am I missing something? Go ahead. Um, well, we're all missing something, which is, um, you know, someone who would fight <laughs> I guess, in the Oval Office like that would be cool. Um, I, I think, you know, Biden is delusional here. I like, I don't know if you saw what, what they said today in the White House, but they were like, well, we really disagree with what the Supreme Court did today. So, um, we're going to, uh, try to do loan relief through this other way. <clears throat> this other statute that we're going to base our, our argument on. It's like, um, if someone was burning down your house, uh, and you went out to the fire hydrant, um, tried to open it up and, uh, someone was sitting on it and they were like, you can't have this. You're like, okay, I'm going to find another way to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You're not supposed to be on that hose. That's a crazy thing that you're doing. So, uh, I'm going to go back into the house. Um, Hopefully I won't pass out from smoke inhalation. And then, uh, boy, we're too soon for that, that kind of joke, huh? Um, so uh, go back in the house, look up the city statute book, and I'm going to try to find another way to come at you. Um, 
and asked politely with my hat and hands, will you please help me put my house fire out? Um, so yeah, he, he was on TV yesterday on uh, Nicole Wallace's show on MSNBC saying, um, well, you know, this is not a normal course. This is a terrible decision, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, well, I mean, look, once you, once you talk about court expansion, then you've politicized it. Okay. Um, and this idea, <laughs> just, you can't make this up. Um, the idea of politicization or the idea of like, you know, the neutral Supreme Court that, that is held in high esteem by all Americans, um, it's just like another, um, thing from the past that Joe Biden can't let go of. You know, it's another thing, um, that the people like Biden who came up in a different era, I don't happen to think that era was any better than the one that we're in, to be honest with you. Uh, all that bipartisanship was, uh, not always used for uh, for good purposes, but he's. I think he's what the kind of liberal who, when they think of the Supreme Court, they think of the Warren Court, um, you know, and they they think of Roe and they think of Miranda and they think of Brown v. Board of Ed. They think of the one like forty year period in in America's entire history where the Supreme Court issued a series of, of decisions that improved the lives of people other than rich white dudes. Right. Okay. One 40-year period, all of the Supreme Court's history. Right? But I think that's what Biden is thinking of when he thinks of the dangers of politicizing that institution. Um, and it's annoying, not just because it means, you know, every day that Biden is, is in office, like saying this kind of thing is another day that we won't actually do anything about this problem. Um, it's annoying because he's the national party leader for the Democrats. Um, and when he says, I don't want to politicize the court, you know, 20, 30, 40% of Democrats are still not going to want to do it either. Um, I'm not saying we take our cues from the president, like a bunch of marionettes, you know, <laughs> but we do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, the president is an important agenda setter. Um, the, our political parties, when they adopt new positions, um, they can bring the people along with them. Um, I think there's a real thirst in the activist class for court expansion, court packing, or other sort of ways to rein in the Supreme Court. Um, I actually think it has majority support among Democrats at this point. But in order to ever get done, it needs way more than just, you know, 65, uh, 65% support, right? You want to do something this, this disruptive, you really need most of the party behind you. Um, and the, it's a party leader's job to change minds and to persuade to get out there to use the bully pul pulpit, but I'm not an idiot. We don't have the Senate right now, right? I mean, we're not we're not packing anything except our lunches tomorrow. <laughs> um, <Your> mansion. <laughs> uh, sorry, we don't we don't have the House. We have the Senate. We have this one. I have gotten plenty of sleep, folks. I do not have a four month old at home, um, so <laughs> we don't have the Senate. I mean, we don't have the House. We have the Senate, right? So, but you need them both, right? If you want to pass a court packing statute, you need the House and you need the Senate. We don't have those things right now. Um, and so in a sense, you might just say, oh, well, it's moot. You know, the court's going to run amok the next two years, no matter what we do. And I say, that's not, that's not the point. And the point is the next time we get a trifecta, you know, the presidency, the house and the Senate, which could be next year, you've got to lay the groundwork to change the last minds that needs to be changed, um, uh, in order to make this happen. Um, and yet that's never going to happen as long as the president is out there saying like, well, you know, I mean, I disagree with it, but I guess we'll just let uh, Clarence Thomas's ghost like haunt us for the next 30 years. 
uh, as the vestiges of this long-dead, ill-gotten, corrupt political majority continue to wreak havoc on American society by upending consensus and allowing new forms of discrimination against people. <sighs> That's why I didn't like what he said. <laughs> well, I uh, uh, I think the Supreme Court, uh, there's a lot you offered up. I'm going to take it point by point. I think they were uh, pretty consistent. Uh, my reading of their ruling in the... Um, uh, the the matter out of North Carolina, uh, having to do with the independent state legislature, is that they saw it uh, as moving in on their turf. So they want to be the ones who decide who get elected. They want to set the rules. They don't want some yahoos down in the North Carolina state re- legislature to said there they were the way they're saying. Well, no, we're the man. Okay. Uh, so that's how I realized. I, I, I was like, "Is it jurisdictional?" Now, how they use that authority, of course, is a whole other matter. They uh, resisted an effort to um, usher in Donald Trump in 2020, uh, so we got to give him credit for that. Uh, but uh, who knows what they're going to do in 2024? Uh, my guess is, uh, David, that uh, Joe Biden is um, driven by focus groups and. Uh, of independent-minded voters. It just seems like straight out of the uh, Rom, Axelrod, Obama playbook. Uh, you don't want to go too far. You don't want to get too far ahead of swing voters in suburban Wisconsin or Maryland. I mean, I've been seeing the Democrats do this. Uh, for it's, it's so wild, man, just thinking about it, because one of the biggest opponents to uh, gay marriage in the 90s was Rahm Emanuel, and he was an advisor to uh, Bill Clinton. And now he's promoting himself in these puff piece interviews as trying to get gay marriage in Japan. <laughs> Is anybody believing this stuff? Other than the political political reporter who was, oh man, another reporter bamboozled by Rom. Uh, but uh, anyway, so that's it. I just like, and so why don't you zero in on this? Um, the politics, of course, it's a political. The notion that it's be political to uh, undercut the raw political power of the right at the Supreme Court is nonsense. Oh, it's so political. Uh, and so let's break it down uh, issue by issue. All right. So we dealt with the the elector the election issues. The Supremes want to run the show. Uh, in terms of their ruling today with the graphic artist in Colorado who reserves the right to put on her website that she will openly discriminate against gays. She will not do wedding designs for gays. Unbelievable blank, just out in the open discrimination. If you su- substituted uh, gays for white people, or white people for gays, I do not believe the Supreme Court would have sanctioned it. And I don't care what religion she cited, a religion, her religious beliefs. So politically, in your humble opinion, David, do you think that being openly bigoted in, uh, against gay people based on your religious convictions is a winning ticket for MAGA uh, in the upcoming elections? No. Um, <laughs> the discriminating against LGBTQ people is not popular. Okay. Um, there is maybe one issue in this whole general orbit um, where I think public opinion is on the side of the moral panickers uh, on, on the right right now. And that's um, that is trans women playing in high school and college sports and that, that kind of thing doesn't make it the right position, right? But I think that's the one area where it's like, 
I think more probably more people agree with them than agree with us. Um, otherwise, no, this is a this is a horrifically unpopular position to adopt. Gay marriage has super majority support among the American people. Right? Among young people, it's like approaching like 80, 90 percent. Um, there is simply not a, a popular politics of discrimination um, against this group of people. Um, it's just it's just not there. Right. Like politically, um, it's it's an it's an idiotic position to to adopt. OK. Um, it also in this specific case, which was like a, this is like a fake um, website, it's not even a real business. Right. Like so this person has never been asked to serve or to create a website for a gay couple. OK. <laughs> Um, and it's, you're, you're fixing a problem that really doesn't exist. Okay. Um, let me give you an example. <laughs> like, n- like no gay couple is going to want to go to this woman. Like, so they're going to come to their website and she's going to be like, I hate gay people, but I guess the Supreme Court says I got to serve you. So I'll make you a website. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what couples like, no one's that desperate for a friggin' website. But they're going to go to like Lori Smith and be like, well, she hates us, but damn, what a design, you know, like we cannot live without that. Oh, it's hilarious. So <laughs> there's a there was a business in my neighborhood. I don't want to name names, okay? But there's like these weird conservatives open some sort of like vintage clothing business at like Clark and um, Clark and Greenleaf. This is an intersection in the city for our non Chicagoans, um, and uh, they're just crazy. They actually put up a sign on the on the window that says "No masks allowed inside." Um, like they're, they're like sort of like that rapidly on, on the weird, uh, anti-mitigation side of the pandemic. Um, and it's like, well, like who in the neighborhood is going to go into your store now? I mean, it's like, I I mean, I'm not wearing masks in stores, but like, don't tell me I can't do it. You know, like what, what kind of craziness is that? So it's, it's a made up fictitious problem that no one on the face of the earth is actually going to run into. Okay. Um, if you run a bakery, and you're like, um, I don't want to make cupcakes for gay people. Um, you know, like the gay couple's going to figure that out like pretty, pretty quick. When they walk in, they're like, hey, you know, we're getting married. Big day. You know, you make us some cupcakes and like, <laughs> well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg says I have to. So I'll try not to poison them. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just so ridiculous. The whole thing is just so ridiculous. Um but the takeaway is disturbing, right? I mean, for the first time, the Supreme Court has said, in essence, um, a, a private business can can deny service to someone on the basis of uh, of their identity, um, a protected class of people. Um, and I'm not a I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I'm not not really an expert on this um, on this subject area generally. Um, but uh, but I'm confident that they're not going to stop there, right? Um, I'm confident that a million other lawsuits are going to get filed and it's not just going to be about wedding websites or, or cupcakes or whatever. Um, it's going to be about a concerted effort, um, to allow as much discrimination against LGBTQ people as possible in as many realms as possible. Um, and, uh, and I just, you know, I, I, it's of all the decisions that came down today, I know I wrote more about student debt, um, this, I think, was the more consequentially harmful long-term decision that the Supreme Court issued today. Um, and um, I just, uh, you know, my my thoughts are with all the, you know all of my all of my friends who have to live in this stupid country and the in the in the direction that it's headed um, with a you know frankly kind of feckless leadership at the top of the political party that's supposed to be standing up for them. Absolutely, and uh, 
I, I mean, the MAGA has d- declared war on gays. And, I, and I, I said this in an earlier show. I thought we had moved past it. Uh, I thought that the, the libertarian point of view had been adopted more or less by the Republican Party that we don't want to get involved in the personal decision. But no, everything from the revolts uh, against Bud Light. I don't know if you follow that, but we talk about that a lot on the show. Kid Rock leading that charge uh, because they had a trans person uh, briefly, momentarily as a spokesperson for them. Everything against the boy against against Target because Target had flags. Uh, the the protest against Starbucks that forced Starbucks to tell employees that they could not put up uh, uh, pride flags and paraphernalia, etc. So it, the war is back. MAGA thinks this is a uh, a winning proposition for them. I, I agree with you. I don't think it is. Uh, and my guess is that Joe Biden thinks it's a losing proposition uh, for MAGA. So if he has a strategy, it's he wants to keep the the attention focused on the lunatics uh, at the Supreme Court. Uh, he doesn't want to. He's not thinking long term along your lines to uh, reform it. Uh, which brings me to the next issue, uh, MAGA, uh, another MAGA ruling this week. Uh, let's talk about it. You already mentioned it, obliterating uh, <laughs> relief of student loans. Apparently, MAGA thinks that's a winning uh, proposition. They've been waging war on uh, freeing people of this debt uh, since Joe Biden announced he was going to do it. Uh, what's your sense of how that plays out politically? Well, politically, this is not as this is not a, as clear cut a winning issue for us as as I would personally like it to be, but it's just not. Um, you know, it's something around something along the order of like forty percent of Americans have a college degree, um, and so and if you know even much smaller than that have you know law degrees or advanced degrees. So the vast majority, not the vast, but you know, a significant majority of Americans either didn't go to college or didn't finish college. Um, and so the issue of student loan relief has always been a little bit more niche for us. It's been more of a kind of like a stakeholder reward situation. It's look, don't get me wrong. It's the right policy, right? <laughs> it's the right policy. It's insane that we charge people $150,000 in loans to go to college. Um, and then they pay them off for 10 years and their balance has gone up, stuff like that. Like if, when you, if you've had any interaction with the student loan system or anybody you know has had any interaction with the student loan system, it's as crazy as our healthcare system, right? It's as crazy as stacked against the borrowers as it could possibly be. Um, the New York Times did that. They were getting dunked on on Twitter today all day long because they, they ran this thing that was like, here's how you can still get your loans forgiven. And the last bullet point was dying. It was, <laughs> it was like death. Um, it turns out, like, if you're worried about this, uh, and when you die, your family doesn't have to pay your loans back. Um, so just a, just a lot of like cruelty and abuse and, and taking advantage of people are, are really built into the, the core of the system. Okay? It's a terrible system, um, and it would unleash all kinds of positive economic activity if you forgave people's loans, all of them, you know, or twenty thousand dollars of them, or ten thousand dollars of them. It's a, it's it's just it's a good policy. It should be, of course, paired with systemat- you know systemic reform of the whole system so that people don't start running that debt up again tomorrow morning. Um, but uh, so, but the merits of the policy aside, um, you know, this is a big loss for Biden. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, right? Like he 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 ran with this pro- with this program that I think you know probably fifty fifty politically, right? Something like that. Um, and then 
convinced several million people that they were going to have part of their loans or all their loans forgiven. Um, and now he has to go back to those people, predominantly young people, supporters of the Democratic Party, um, be like, well, <laughs> we're going to keep fighting for you, folks, but uh, you got to start paying loan back next month. Um, so I, this is actually, this is quite, this is quite bad for Biden politically because it's like the worst of both worlds, right? Um, he's still pissed off the people, you know, like the boomers who are like, well, I paid my $4 in tuition a month, <laughs> to my fully subsidized tuition to go to oh, Iowa state and then bought a $10 house. So these kids should do it too. Um, you know, he pissed off all those people who were like, oh, well, I paid back my loans. So snowflake should pay back bears. Pissed all up those people. And now you now and like you would think that like if you are a borrower and you thought you were getting your loans forgiven, um, and the Supreme Court says no way, that you would blame the Supreme Court. Um <laughs> but I think the reality is like by you know, this is this is gonna hurt Biden if they can't find a way to get this done by next year. Well um, why 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 is Biden uh absorbing the blow for the Supreme Court's decision in this matter, but not in Dobbs? Well, um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, I think the Republican Party is much more all in, all on board with Dobbs, and it, it has had a much more visceral impact on, on half the population. <laughs> um, really, the whole population, right? Like, I mean, uh, this isn't just a problem for the people who can't get abortions. So, but um, I think it's always just been a higher profile issue with a more clear majority and support of, of the Democrats position. Um, and the people who are now not getting their loans forgiven, were already not really that happy with the person, you know, the percentage of the loans, you know, like the student debt collective ones had all gone, right. Like the activists left on this issue wanted much more out of the Biden administration to begin with. Um, and I think they could make a plausible case. That's like, <laughs> you know, you went with this half measure and it got swatted down anyway kind of like when Obama nominated Merrick Garland instead of like an actual progressive and now Merrick Garland is still like haunting us like a Demogorgon. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he yeah. was like, well, I'll nominate this nice old white man. Um, and uh, maybe Mitch McConnell will play ball. Um, and it's like, no, <laughs> like, they're never going to play ball. Right. Like they're going to fight us tooth and nail to the end. Um, and it, and it kind of brings me back to the court packing thing. Right. Which is like Biden, the Biden people are probably like, well, you know, I mean, we don't want to get like a, like a judicial defund the police hung around our next, the next election. So we better go out there and, and say the right thing. And I, I have full trust that the Republican ad makers will not distort our thinking on this issue at all. They're going to, they're going to say, we want to pack the courts anyway, you know, <laughs> like they're going to take like, a, like a, a Liz Warren quote or, you know, the Democrats who support it, they're going to hang it around the whole party. Um, no matter what we do, that, that's why I keep saying like, just do the thing, just do the thing. That's the right thing. Do the right policy, put the right policy into place. Um, I wish we lived in a world where, where like, we were going to get rewarded for those policies at the next election, but I gave, I gave, I gave up on that a long time ago. Um, but, you, you know, your time in power is likely to be brief anyway, so you, you might as well achieve as much as you can on, on the way out the door, stand on principle um, where, where possible. I mean, I'm not saying, like, deliberately polit be politically stupid all the time, <laughs> but stand on principle. Like, I think more often than not, when you stand on principle, um, you'll, you'll get rewarded for it. So, um, I, I'm going to give them a piece of advice, which I know they'll, they'll ignore, uh, politicize the hell out of this. So when, uh, people start having, getting hit up for their, to pay back those loans again, 
make sure that they understand uh, that it's the, the MAGA court's fault. Now, this is where the Democrats are worthless, and I'm just stealing ideas that David Ferris wrote six, seven years ago, but they are so bad <laughs> at, at pointing out the connection between Republican policies and the ills that people are facing, the obstacles they're facing, the social inequities. We'll get to Robert Kennedy briefly. I've spent a lot of time following Robert Kennedy this week. I know. I feel sorry for myself, too. But um, the fact that Joe Rogan voters are rushing to Kennedy, uh, it, it just blows my mind because these are the people in many cases who are the greatest victims of social inequity in our country uh, and they're supporting a guy who's just going to help perpetuate it uh, and they're not holding in any way accountable. Uh, they're actually benefiting the people who have made it even un more unfair uh, in our country. So yeah, up is down is down is up with the worthless Democrats. All right. Uh, the third matter. Uh, overturning uh, affirmative action in uh, college admission policies uh, where they said, how dare you discriminate against white people? Martin Luther King would be so upset. Uh, we're going to take a stand against discrimination by <laughs> abolishing anything that might be fair to people who've been discriminated against since they were brought over this country in chains. It was a long time ago. I wasn't around, but I studied it. So how does that play out politically, uh, their decision in the Harvard affirmative action case? Well, it turns out that affirmative action is not also the most popular thing in the world. <laughs> so um, I, wish, I wish I had the data. Uh, and probably, I can probably pull it up. Um, I'll, I'll get to it in a second. I mean, the political take, I think this is probably the least political politically consequential decision that came down today, right? Like, I think that there are, I think there are major political implications in a, in a not great way for Democrats with the student loan decision. I think that, I think the, I think the Supreme Court has saddled the Republican Party with a very unpopular position on LGBTQ stuff. I think both of those issues could be front and center at the next election. Um, it is, it is very, very difficult for me to see um, Democrats kind of running on or or trying particularly hard to exploit this um <clears throat> so uh, i'm looking at pew right now so um percentage of 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 americans who approve or disapprove of uh, colleges and universities using race and ethnicity into account in admissions decisions is 50 percent disapprove and 33 percent approve um now Again, I, we've talked about this a thousand times. Just because you're on the wrong side of a public opinion issue here and there, it doesn't mean you need to cave on it. Okay, like Republicans not only uh, continue to go out and um, run on a bunch of unpopular stuff, they then get into office and they enact those unpopular policies in the law, um, and they still win because of the counter-majoritarian nature of the system. Um, but, um, I, yeah, I don't think this is going to cause a furor in, in public opinion wise. Um, I think that there, to be honest, I think there's probably workarounds to this problem. Um, the, uh, in, in terms of like colleges and universities, um, trying to, trying to ensure that they have a diverse student body and providing opportunities, um, to disadvantage folks. Um, I, I think there's ways to do that without the sort of explicit 
race-based system that we have right now. Okay. Um, I'm not at all arguing in favor of what the Supreme Court did here. Um, but I think of the three things, this is not only the least like problematic policy-wise, I think it's the, I think it's the least likely thing for Democrats to try to exploit in, in public opinion terms. I do want to say <laughs> the whole idea that this case was about preserving the colorblind meritocracy of Harvard is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay. If you go, I'm not sure I, I'm, if people know this, um, but if you, if you go to an elite institution, you can get your kids in there almost no matter what they do. Okay. It's not based on merit. It's called a legacy admission. And legacy admissions are one of the driving revenue sources for elite institutions, right? You take a chain of intergenerational wealth, you know, uh, you educated, uh, you know, uh, William Van Vanderpump 57 years ago, and then, the, you know, uh, Grayson Vanderpump now gets in to get to go to Harvard for free. Um, and that's a system that nobody even questions. Nobody questions the idea um, that you get to go to college if you're good at basketball, right? Or you're good at baseball. Um, these are all open forms and systems of discrimination that elite, mostly elite universities use um, to determine the makeup of their student body. I have another hobby horse about this whole thing, um, which is that all of the education discourse in this country is concentrated on the same like 15 schools and what happens at those 15 schools. And it totally ignores what goes on at like almost every other institution of higher education in the whole country. Okay. Um, there's a lot of institutions, like 5,000 colleges in the U.S., if you count the community colleges. Uh, the vast majority of those colleges admit such a high percentage of their applicants that it doesn't, it doesn't matter who or what you are. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to go to that place, you can go to that place. Okay. Can you fog up a mirror? Yeah, you will get into to College X. Um, and so it's just, it's just another case where the media discourse, the, the, the law, um, our whole conversation around these issues is driven by a set of unrepresentative institutions that are themselves the things perpetuating inequality in American society. Um, you do not have to go to Harvard to have a nice life. Okay. Um, but it is a problem that the, you know, that the top 5%, the top echelon of almost every industry in this country is dominated by the by people from the same five schools. I'm going to save your listeners some time. Okay. I did graduate from the university of Pennsylvania. <laughs> so when I rail against Ivy league elitism, okay, I am talking about myself. Um, and I don't approve of it at all. The only thing I like, I think I've said this before, the only thing I like about Clarence Thomas is that he hires law clerks from non-elite institutions. You know, he's the only judge on the Supreme Court where if you went to the University of Cincinnati Law, you might get a clerkship with the Supreme Court. And that's actually pretty cool. Everything about him sucks. Um, and I hope he gets off the Supreme <laughs> Court as soon that. as possible. Um, but anyway, th so those are my thoughts about the affirmative action case. I think uh, there, there are other ways... I mean, unless you, unless you want to have a team of lawyers uh, policing every admit to every institution in the country, there, you know, there's there's ways that you can you can get the student body that you want. I think without this particular regime being in place, I, I think that Mag is um, making a bet, uh, and if you look at past elections, it's a winning bet. Uh, and uh, Mag sees this anytime you can promote the notion uh, that somehow or other liberals or woke people, I think that's they've substituted woke for liberal, uh, are giving an advantage to black people over white people. That's a winning ticket, politically speaking, uh, for MAGA because it fires up this sense of victimhood that is so important 
uh, to keep MAGA people stoked and to uh, even uh, even swing voters. Like I've known so many kids since affirmative action became an issue in the 70s. Uh, David, I've known so many white kids from very privileged backgrounds uh, who grew up in the suburbs who speak as though they are the victims in this selection process. Did you know that Billy Bob, a black kid named Billy Bob, got a 25 on his ACT, and he got in Illinois, and I got a 29, and I didn't? And I'm like, that's it. That's like your Edmund Pettus Bridge. That's what, you know, that's the greatest injustice. You had to go to what, Northern instead of Champaign? I have no idea what's in their minds, but this... And it sticks with them. And uh, boomers are particularly uh, vulnerable to the white boomers. You talked about white boomers and uh, college loans. They're even worse with affirmative action. Oh, my God. Do not talk to a white boomer about it. You know, Ben, it's just not fair. <laughs> this guy's rich. He had a great life. He's still complaining about it. He didn't get into Illinois. So I hear you, man. It's so... Uh, it's a winning issue for MAGA anytime you can make white people feel as though uh, they are the victims. How you could take a look at American history, David, for all these years and say that white people are the victims, I don't know. But it's worked for MAGA ever since uh, Nixon employed the Southern strategy in 68. All right. Uh, I know both of us have got an eye on the clock here. Uh, Santana is calling me. Ben, Ben, come on. Uh so I just, we probably do a whole show on this. I took the deep dive on Robert Kennedy uh, this week. I could not go for my walk because of the smoke that uh, just took over Chicago. So I sat in my house and I watched Robert Kennedy videos, interviews, Tucker Carlson's ode to him, Bill Maher's ode to him. I mean, I watched it all. Okay. Joey Rogan uh, sucking up to him. I'm just like, I, it's a very bizarre thing going on here, uh, and the Republicans are making it clear they see him exactly for what he is, uh, a tool to elect a Republican in 2024. He, and they're Roger Stone is freaking open about it, ladies and gentlemen. He's putting it out there. This is a tool for us. We're happy to exploit him. And all these other, all these other like Joe Rogan types and Bill Maher are like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, let's give me a, a riff on Robert Kennedy and how right now at this stage of things uh, dangerous he could be uh, to Joe Biden. Well, speaking of white boomers. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Speaking of white boomers and their bizarre fixation on the Kennedy family as the, as the path to our national salvation. Um, I mean, Robert Kennedy's, this guy's a joke. You know what I mean? Uh, he's appealing. To, it seems to his primary appeal is to men who are afraid of needles um, and uh, men of a certain age who just don't like to get shots in their arms. Um, I know another person who doesn't like to get shots in his arms. That's my five-year-old. Okay, like you really all really need to get over it. Okay, when you grow up, you got to get over this. Um, the, the, the more that Democrats learn about what Robert F. Kennedy actually thinks, the, the lower his poll numbers go in this primary. Okay, the... Kennedy polling 20% against Biden in a contested Democratic primary is a 99.999% name recognition based on the Kennedy brand. Okay. Um, I do not understand why the Kennedy brand is still good. Okay. <laughs> it, it was a terrible president. 
Ted Kennedy was a little bit of a murderer. Um, so it's fine. I mean, like, I don't, I just, I'm straining to think of anything that the Kennedys have done in the last like 50 years. So, uh, but God bless. If you love the Kennedys, God bless this. This guy's not one of the good Kennedys. Okay. He's one of the bad Kennedys. Okay. He's a Chappaquiddick Kennedy. Um, and his whole shtick is just, it's just railing against the COVID vaccines, um, vaccines in general. Um, and he's appealing to a very vocal minority of the country that is skeptical of vaccines or thinks vaccines cause autism or is like one of these people. Have you ever one of these people that's like, well, I got the COVID shots and then I got COVID. Yeah, no, God, do I know wow. those people? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I got three shots and I still got COVID, yeah. you know? It was all a lie. <laughs> it's all a lie. Yeah. And it's like, are you alive? Yeah. Are you are you alive? Then it works, my friends. Um, so uh, the 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 determination to to run against the COVID vaccines as a as a political gambit is just one of the most mystifying things to me in the entire world. Um, I can't I can't think of anything like less likely to build a public opinion majority than to be like we should not have had COVID vaccines. <laughs> okay, for a significant majority of the country, the COVID vaccine was a miracle that allowed them to resume their normal lives, um, and it is only this dedicated minority of like Joe Rogan's weirdos. Um, who think it was all unnecessary. It was all a scam or it's all like, you know, the pharma companies are making money from it. I'm like, I don't care how much, honestly, I don't care how much money they make from this, man. I mean, like, um, they, they did good by us in this, in this instance, Pfizer did the right thing. Um, Moderna did the right thing. Okay. These, these things are like, there's a, there is a miracle coursing through my veins that has, uh, possibly spared my, my, myself a terrible death that allowed me to go back to my normal life. Um, I personally will be forever appreciative of their existence. And, and as they get updated and, and more sophisticated, I think that they will only become more effective against COVID. And here you have this like uh, uh, over-muscled, uh, um, you know, archaic weirdo named Robert Kennedy saying that he wants to run in the Democratic primary. It's like everything that comes out of his mouth. I'm like, bud, you're running in the wrong race. Man. You belong on the other side of the aisle. It's like, remember in 2000, was it 2008 or 2012? Jim, remember the Senator Jim Webb from North Carolina yes. was running the Democratic primary? Yes. Um, and he's one of these guys that was like, the general stabbed us in the back in Vietnam. You know? We never should have left. We could have won. Uh, and it's like, I, have you looked up the two parties? Do you know what, like, do you know what they stand for? Because <laughs> you are in the wrong one. So I am not the least bit worried about Kennedy as a threat to Biden. I'm not the least bit worried about the primaries. As soon as this dude, I mean, I don't think Biden's going to debate him. Right. But every time he opens his mouth, he loses like 1% support. Well, I, you advocated uh, that Joe Biden should uh, not debate Marianne Williamson or Robert Kennedy. You said that about um, over a month ago, maybe two months ago uh, in one of our conversations. Uh, and I, I was coming at a time when I was not familiar with, or I had not spent uh, a, a good chunk of my uh <laughs> my life uh, follow, listening to him. Uh, so I'm with you a hundred percent on that. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it's just absurd if he, if he does, uh, and I hope he listens to us on this one, but, uh, I'll, I'll put he's just, he's not obligated to debate every like LSD adult crank who says I'm running for president. Like just because you're like, I'm running for president doesn't mean anybody has to take you seriously, including the political party that's running the primaries. Like, you, no one's under any obligation to that. So are you uh, concerned the, in the any way? That I'm much more, 
What's Are up? you concerned in any way that they've rearranged the start of the primary season uh, and that there's two primaries we're leading off with Iowa and New Hampshire and Biden says he's he's not going to campaign there, which I'm not quite sure I understand his logic or his reasoning. Uh, your thoughts? I don't think this is going to be an issue this year. Okay. I, the, the next time there's a truly, I mean, to be honest, if something happens to Biden or he gets sick or he's, for some reason he steps away, then the issue of the primary calendar is going to be front and center. Um, and it will be, I think, front and center the next time there's a there's a truly contested Democratic primary. Um, and for all the for all that I wish that he would step aside personally, <laughs> he's not gonna. <laughs> yeah, he's not gonna. And he's the incumbent president, and he has very high approval ratings among Democrats. There's not going to be a meaningful Democratic primary this year. It's not going to happen. Okay. Um, if there was going to be, the, somebody would have had to launch a serious campaign quite some time ago. Um, and so I'm not worried about that. The big the, the big threat. The, the like the the spoiler thing that could really affect the 2024 race and maybe we should just devote a whole nother episode to this um is these is these no labels uh you know third party centrist organizations trying to recruit a joe manchin type to run a third party campaign against against biden in the general um that that's a big that that is a big threat like if you look at the polling somebody like a mansion or god god help us kirsten cinema somebody like that um could peel. It doesn't have to be much, right? It's. I've given up hope that we're going to we're going to beat these guys by ten points. So, you know, you you peel two or three percent out of Biden's margin, and you have a real problem on your hands. So they're the big problem. Robert Kennedy's a joke, um, and uh, I I don't I lose sleep over the effect that he's having about vaccine discourse in this country, um, and the tens of millions of people that are going to get sick or die because they've been told by these charlatans that vaccines don't work. And I'm like, well, how many people you know with polio right yeah. now? You know, vaccines don't work. I mean, how stupid do you have to be to think these things? Uh, I, you know, <sighs> all right. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I hear uh, the band warming up. Uh, so I'm going to head off to go. Uh, <laughs> Carlos is doing a sound check right now. And he's going, where's Benny? So uh, David <laughs> Ferris, we have plenty to talk about next time uh, because uh, yes, I, I would like to talk about the impact uh, that these third parties could have on the election, but also, uh, I think we'll take a deep dive on Robert Kennedy. I'll take you through all the little weird, bizarre planks in his platform and see what statement it makes about where we are as a culture. Not so much could he win or the election, uh, or but just like where American society is right now, because it is a very interesting amalgam of ideas that he is just sort of piece together, which they make no sense and half of them contradict the other. All right, David Ferris is uh, my guest. Thank you very much, David. Uh, as always, Great it's a blast talking to you. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care. <laughs>